right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Mustang Day, and later on, join us here. We're zooming here. I got Ted Ryan here. Ted is a historian for Ford. Hi, Ted. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you today? Wonderful. And of course, Jim Owens, head of Mustang Marketing on Mustang Day. Big day for you, I would assume. Huge day to celebrate, you know, the continuing Mustang legacy. It's, I was thinking about this, and Ted, we're going to talk about the mystery car thing, you know, the photo that came up was last week and everybody was curious about. But if you go back to the Allegro, either one of you guys, the Allegro concepts that we saw like in 62, was that a Mustang template or it was just creative people being creative knowing they needed to have something like that? That was one of a couple of uh, concept cars. There were three that they did that led directly to the Mustang. The Mustang one, uh, proudly on display at the Henry Ford Museum, great two-seater mid-engine. The Allegra, once again, with its sporty concept, I love a couple of the details on that. Fixed seats, but movable gas and uh, brake pedals and movable steering wheel. Uh, and then the Mustang II, which was actually a longer version of what uh, eventually became the Mustang. And all of this work was being done so that they could show them on college campuses, show them the focus groups, just to cement the idea that the, the concept that Iacocca had had of a sporty, uh, attractive car was what the American public wanted. And all the research based on those three vehicles said that the Mustang was, was going to be a hit. So uh, when, when did the name Mustang surface internally before we saw it as consumers? It was actually uh, pretty late in the game uh, because it was simultaneously being called the Cougar at one point. And we have some great images in our archives I'd be happy to share with you later that show the Mustang grill with a Cougar logo logo as opposed to the pony logo. Uh, so as with every project at Ford, uh, there's an old joke at Ford that naming a car is the sport of kings. There's, there's quite a few uh, iterations that you go to before you get the same, the, the final thing. But the pony logo and the, the stable of cars, the, added, the Bronco added a year later, uh, that's, uh, that's where you get your classic Mustang. Yeah, and, and to Ted's point, when we did the 50 years celebration globally, you know, we did in U.S., we did it in New York, Charlotte, and Las Vegas, um, in both the Henry Ford Museum and in Ted's collection in the archives, we have the old images of all of the different badges that the Fairlane Committee was looking for and looking at to make the determination. And one of the fun things we like to do on our clubs is to take that slide and to say, hey, this is what your Mustang could have been called, and the different badges on there. And it's, it's a really cool piece of history. And one of the things that both, you know, the archives under Ted and, you know, the Henry Ford um, in Dearborn there helps provide to our Mustang owners, which is pieces of history where stories can be built around it. And that's one of the cool ones. You know, the Fairlane Committee working with that. Um, and one of the stories, uh, Jack Telmack was with us at the Automotive Hall of Fame I want to say probably maybe two months ago, it was this calendar year, and he was doing a presentation to design students in automotive across like Wayne State and the Design Center College and then like um, uh, two or three other universities. And he told the story of the person who actually carved the first horse badge. And it was a Hungarian, I believe, Hungarian um, quartermaster who was the person who was responsible for taking care of the horses in the cavalry. And he literally, instead of designing it and drawing it, he actually carved it out of wood 
And one of the things that Jack was talking about, and you can't see me touching my shoulders, and it's probably not as defined as it once was pre-COVID, but you can see when the horse is coming forward on the haunches, the muscularity that is in that front haunch, right. this guy, and, I'm, and I'm, forgetting, I'm forgetting his name and I can come up with it, but he actually carved the wood with the muscles in there to show the power of the horse. And that was because of his work surrounding the horses back and I think it was Hungarian. He was a Hungarian cavalry master. Um, but it was a pretty cool story. And just like, you know, pieces of history that live in Ted's organization and live at the Henry Ford are cool stories for our customers going forward. Well, if I go to Miller's and get a beer, I could probably win one with that story, but I can't <laughs> go there right now. So doing that one. All right, I, Ted, before I forget, I want, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to bring up this photo. Uh, this is the thing we were all talking about last week. Whoop. Ta-da. There it is. Yeah. Let me give you some background first. Um, okay. One, see the number at the bottom where it says S9955-1 and then the yeah. date of it? Those are what are called the styling nicks. And at Ford and our archives, and these, actually, they don't have them at the Henry Ford. These are the Ford Motor Company styling nicks. We have 1.5 million of these styling nicks. And at the end of every single day, whatever was being worked on in the different studios, they would document. And so it's a, a chronological collection. So that S9955-1, that means that was the first neg in that envelope. And there could have been 20 negs in that envelope. You know, it might be one, two, three, and, and there would be different angles, different shots. The, the S-neg collection was actually destroyed during a winter uh, downtime flood uh, in one of the styling labs. And the, the cleaning crew that was coming in, cleaning up the water damage, tossed the inventory before they gave us a chance to try to recover it. We could have recovered it. it. It's a catastrophe. That being said, when we know a date, we can go find the S-negs and we can typically identify the car. So with this particular car, uh, we believe it's uh, the Mach 2, which was, they made two iterations of the Mach 2. They made one in, in 66, 67, and then a second version in 1970 that looked appreciably different. And we think that this is the framework that was being done in the engineering lab. This one is actually not in the styling lab, it's in the engineering lab, uh, that the later uh, fiberglass shell would have fit over. So it was to test the mid-engine quality uh, for the Mach 2. The, unfortunately for us, that particular SNEG is not one that we have the rest of the series scan. So whenever I can get back in my archives, I'll find out what images number two, three, four, five, and six are and we can get a fuller documentation. But based on the, the flow of the car and based on everything else that we know about it, uh, we think it's the uh, uh, early, the 66 version of the Mach 2, as opposed to the 70 version, which was more elongated, uh, still mid-engine, but a more elongated body uh, and a different style. There we go. All right, well, there we go. Now we get into that. Oh. Well, there you go. Okay, now we, we have that answered. And, we're, um, this, and one other, we are, we're digitizing and prior to COVID, we were, we were up to 50,000 plus SNEGs digitized. It was one of the first things I started when I got there. And I can't wait to share this collection in the future because there are gems there. Uh, on my Twitter page, I just posted some SNEGs of the Allegro 2 uh, that you've probably never seen before uh, that I located. And on, on Twitter, every day I'm featuring a different car. Today is going to be the GT90. Uh, where I'm finding images from our collection and from our styling neg collection, we do have scanned that had never been seen before. So it's so much fun. Think? It's so much fun, Jim, when you go in there and him and Jamie and the entire staff 
and you know I get a chance to go over there quite a bit it's it's really fun they've moved the archives you know since back in the hundred years of racing days when I first started working with them um, over to the old Poe building and so like you walk past Henry's old original office and then back down the hallway and, and they have this wonderful facility over there that has you know the right heating and, and cooling and humidity control and and then you see these folks who are the caretakers of our history going through all of these. And it's just a great piece to watch these people work. And I think Mustang fans across the world would love the fact to know that that history is being taken care of so that when we're all sitting around, you know, post the shutdown, sitting at Miller's, as you discussed, and we can all tell the stories that we know and hear and think of. And then you have Ted and the crew and Jamie back there doing all those wonderful things with those assets that can share with our Mustang fans. So it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Jim is one. I've got to give Jamie credit as, as Jim did. Jamie's been with the company more than 20 years and he was the one that, that uh, was on the case on that particular image that you just showed. And he's forgotten more about Mustang than I'll probably ever know. <laughs> and, and as Jim said, Mustang enthusiasts around the world can be, confident that Jamie Myler, the reference archivist for Ford Motor Company, loves Mustang. It's his passion car, and, and uh, there's not a fact about Mustang that he hasn't either tried to diligently uh, look or learn. All right, well, this question's for both of you. I was thinking about this. The, the, bullet, the story of the Bullet Mustang over the past couple of years, with, with Sean and everything and having it here in Detroit and, and being able to see this in the backstory, which is something that Hollywood wishes they could write something like that. Um, it was the unicorn to me. It was like the perfect unicorn car story. Is there another unicorn Mustang out there, a car that Ford's looking for, you're looking for, or one of the Carroll Shelby mules, the big red or whatever they are? Is there a unicorn Mustang out there that we don't know about? Jim, you go first. So I'm going to talk about more of the stories associated with it. There is a unicorn for each of the Mustang owners. And if you think about it, like the car that your dad and you worked on in the garage um, that was sold or transferred, um, we did the story back last year at Woodward, you know, with the, one of the original families who bought their dad's car back, mm-hmm. who sold it when his wife was going through cancer. Oh, and the oh kids, God, that's an amazing story. An amazing just, story. It's, it, and, and, and my point for bringing it up, it was cool. We had him up there for Woodward and the whole family up there, the kids actually found the car. So I guess what I'm saying is there is a unicorn for each Mustang story. I've gotten one over the holidays. Actually, Farley sent me the, sent me the email and said, look, this guy was working off of it. This individual customer had worked or had lived with his dad, who was a Ford employee years ago. And one GT500 came in over a weekend that he got to drive that started his love affair of the car. And he is with Kevin Marty and, you know, the Mustang Club of America and the enthusiasts and, you know, Clore and folks like that are trying to track down the car so he can buy it back because that's what the car that changed his life. So when you ask, is there unicorn stories out there? There's not just one, there's millions of them with, you know, 10 million plus Mustangs out there that have each changed everybody's, you know, individual life um, growing up as a car person. 
those unicorns are out there. So you have, you know, the Green Hornet and Little Red and, you know, the Bullet and some of the other, you know, very iconic Mustangs, you know, the one Charlie's Angels, remember the old white with blue oh, yeah. and Farrah Fawcett Majors sitting on the top of it. I mean, everybody, there's those big ones, but what's important to the Mustang community is that there are millions of those unicorns out there that started people on their love affairs with cars, with Mustangs and with the Ford family and Ford Motor Company. Ted? My unicorn, there's the sales records from 1964 to 1967, and my life would be so much easier. The holy what do you mean? What do you mean? Am I right, Jim? Yeah, that's the holy grail. Um, the records from 65 and 66 um, have never been found for Mustang production. What? And, yeah, and we've got 67 through yeah. today. Um, Kevin Marty, who you know is the Marty Report, which um, has the decoder ring for all of our data on all of our vehicles from 67 forward. Um, but from 65 and 66 model years, we don't have that data. And, you know, the, the Mustang community looks at Ted and Jamie as, you know, the chasers of the Holy Grail. He needs, he needs his hat on, his Indiana Jones hat and his little Temple of Doom rope, because those are the archives that would tell you all of the build information from those 65 and 66 Mustangs. And I get, I still get at least once every other month, somebody send me a lead on where I can go look for it. And you know, somebody sent me a note a month and a half ago. Have, have you double checked Highland Park? Yes. You know, <laughs> yeah. I have. I have. And, and I earnestly want them every bit as much as you do because it'd make my life so much easier. I get them to get a party and boom, then everybody can find out the history of their Mustang. But that, 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 First two years is just a, it's a huge gaping hole and it's, it's my unicorn I dream about. Wow. All right. Hey, Jim, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Carol Shelby. I, I, I met Jim, I met Carol Shelby once at the North American International Auto Show, probably like 10, 15 years ago. And I tell the story all the time. There were other designers, Ralph Gill, um, uh, some of the, the biggest, Ed was there, Ed Welburn. They were all standing in line to meet Carol Shelby and they were like kids waiting to go see Santa Claus. And we all stood there to go meet him. And he was the most gracious guy with his time. But there's something, it's hard to explain. It's, it was different about him. You could just tell the way his mind worked and the way he looked at automobiles was unlike anybody. Is that, is that fair? It's more than fair. And it, and it was more of, um, yeah, he was, uh, you know, a rock star for all of us, right? Um, but he was a, a great human being. And you know, from the foundation that he established, both from, you know, at, at one point in time, he was the oldest living dual transplant recipient on the planet, wow. right? Old, replacement heart and replacement kidney. And trust me, he did not lead a choir boy's life. <laughs> so like he, he worked that pretty hard. Uh, but he, he was beyond the automotive. He was an idea maker. And one of the stories I love to tell is, you know, the 1314 GT500, which was kind of the last project that he worked on with Ford directly, um, he knew kind of what we were doing GT350 before he passed away, but 13 and 14, the reveal of the 13 in LA was his last public appearance. And the reason I bring that up is he would call the engineers and he'd like call at like, you know, 7.30 in the morning Eastern time, which is 4.30 in the morning Pacific time. And he would call him and say, and, and like, you know, like Tom, <laughs> like Barnes or Terzas, and we would pick him up and call or Eric. We've got Eric. He talked all the time. Hey, did you think about this on the brakes? You know, and, and so he was, he was 
more creative, not just about the design of the car, but about how everything worked together and would talk to, you know, Bill Ford and Edsel Ford, you know, who worked for him in the 60s, but also talked to the plant workers. When we took them down to FRAP, this is a funny story, I'm sorry. The, at the time, it was Auto Alliance Incorporated. And we're in, um, the, the plant shuts down, we do an autograph session with him, and he's walking into the stripe room, right? Because, you know, we've been earning our stripes since 1962. And so one of the stripe UAW workers who was there said, hey, Carol, can you sign the wall? And the wall where they wanted him to sign was above the stripe storage thing, like eight feet in the air. Now, Carol's 81 at the time, maybe 82. And he, he gets up on a ladder and I'm like, I'm not going to be the one who causes Carol to fall. Like he climbs up on the ladder on top of the stripe, the stripe container, has the UAW worker with him and they lean up over there. And I'm like freaking out because I'm like, good gosh, we're gonna, you know, he's going to trip and fall. And the two of them autographed the hood together. And I think it tells it more beyond what Carol was, which was uh, an enthusiast, a hot rodder, somebody who wanted to work with the nuts and bolts, but could work with the people directly like Bill Ford, um, all the way down to the folks who work on the assembly line. He was just a wonderful person that way. And it's a, wait a minute, Edsel, when did Edsel work for, I didn't know this, 60, I apologize. Yeah. I want to say 67, um, I'll have to get the exact dates. He lived with Carol. Um, Carol made him wash transmission parts. <laughs> and then, now most people don't go home from work to sit with Carol. Um, but then when he actually finished his job before he drove, before he went back to school, um, he actually drove a GT500 from the facility in California all the way back to Dearborn. Awesome. Yeah, we had Pete Brock on about a year ago, and he told the story about drawing the Daytona on the floor, <laughs> yeah. the concept, and they built it off that. So I'm like, I'm not, what's more amazing that you created the Daytona on the floor during lunch or that they actually did that and made it, made it work? Made it work. The old story of the old bus, and how do you keep that down going down the straightaway at Lamar at that speed? I love talking to Jim because we have the paperwork in our collection and I've got the correspondence back and forth and the notes and the minutes and the meetings and the, the correspondence, but I never met Carol Shelby. So when I talk to somebody like Jim and, and you get the, the, the spice of what it was like to actually do it. It's, it's, uh, or Moe's Nolan a couple of weeks yeah, ago Mose. Yeah, with the, with the GT event we did in the archives and, and he's describing exactly what it was like to work. It just, I love seeing those stories come to life because that, essentially that's what that's what automotives are. It's a bunch of stories about fun things that people love. So Ted references Mose, and he was on the engine program in the '60s on the Ford GT. I worked with him, sat in the cube next to him in Ford Racing in 2000. He actually worked. I want to say it was 41, 42 years. He up and, and up until at least last year that I know of. Um, was still working like he was working on Ed Pink engines. Like he's built it from you know the '60s as a job to now where you know in the 2020s where he 19s and 20s where he's still working on the engines. Um, he's just a wonderful person. And when we did the hundred years of Ford Racing, where we we leveraged the archives hugely for it, um, Edsel came up and we had Mo's there, and you know we did the hundred years of racing. 
18 months before the 100 years of Ford Motor Company because Henry raced sweepstakes in 1901, sold the car, took the money, started the company 18 months later. Um, so the Leo, Leo Levine, the author for the book for the 100 years of Ford Racing, did a book piece there. Edsel signed a copy of the book to know Mose, and we brought Mose up on there to recognize what he had done from engines going back from the 60s. And he told the story that night of he helped teach Edsel how to drive. <laughs> so anyways, those are the stories that come to life out of these wonderful archives and the museum that we have here that is you know, great for Mustang and performance fans. And then um, one last thing I want to touch on, it is Mustang Day. For 50 years, I mean, a Mustang has just been, the, the when it comes to sales, nothing like it. And another successful year, obviously, with this. I was thinking about this when it comes to the Shelby, with, with the 350 and now the 500 as well. Um, and not all manufacturers, but when you compete against yourself, I'll give you an example in the classic rock world. The Rolling Stones' biggest competitor is the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones, when they release new stuff, you go, cool, it's not as good as Gimme Shelter, or, or you know what I mean? Or... So when Ford does a, a Shelby GT350 and 500, the bar is way up here. So to build a car that is not only performance-driven but gives you that same sensation, that's harder than it looks, and that's what makes these cars, in my mind, and I've said it on the air a lot of times, makes it so damn impressive the way these cars drive, and you feel like you're connected to Carroll Shelby and that whole GT mindset. Yeah, there is a piece. Um, how do we say this? Um, you know, for a while, you know, I like to show the 07 through 09 Camaro owners parking lot reunion because um, <laughs> it's empty. Um, you know, <laughs> we've been there for a while. For a while, we weren't, we were the only one back there. You know, we were not, you know, Camaro pulled out for a while. Uh, the longest running, continuous running nameplate in the United States. Thank you for Curvette Marketing for getting a model year. You know, keeps us up there as the longest running. Um so there is competition out there and you don't want, you know, when you take a look at the folks and the engineers who run Camaro and who run VET and who run the Dodge and the, 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 the SRT programs, you don't want to be the first loser. And so when you have people like on 05, like, you know, Gen 5, How Tai Tang, who was the chief of the Mustang when we launched that one, right, who had worked on racing teams and had come back from racing teams to work on the Mustang program, each of those to Parasac, you know, and even some of the, 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 the historical ones going all the way back to like Gale, when they, they were the designer for the original one. You always want to make it better because you are an enthusiast, and you are bringing those performance and visual attributes further because we have a history, you know, that Ted and Jamie keep not only in the archives, but in the Henry Ford museum and 10 million Mustangs plus remember we did 10 millionth Mustang in 2018. Oh, we were there. We were there yep. Yep, to do the build. And, you know, the original Mustang drove up and was the comma. It was pretty cool, but you, we have to build on all of those 10 million to make sure that they're good with it. And that's what drives them. So from like Carol's perspective, he used to keep push Derek, Derek Kuzak when we were doing the initial GT 500. I want 500 horsepower, right? This is back the 07 model year. Um, and at the time we were at like 425, our first press release said 450. Then we said 475. You want everybody from Carol to the engineering team, to the design team, want to push that Mustang further 
to build on the history that we get to participate in with the 55 plus years of Mustang. Well, there you go. There it is. Ted and um, Jim, Ted, Ted Ryan, of course, historian for Ford, and uh, Jim Owens, head of Mustang Marketing. Happy Mustang Day. Happy Mustang Day, everybody. Thank it's you very much. Here. Yeah, here we go. I'm going to do the Mustang owner, I've got to say, too. My dad had a 66, and I've got a, a 21, or a 20 uh, Mustang. Well, there you go. There you go, which we're telling the stories. Okay, now, can you can someone post a picture of the Bronco? Go ahead, Jim. Put a, <laughs> um, got it? Where's the Bronco? Oh, oh, oh wait. Oh, no. <laughs> 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 all right guys hey thank you for the time we'll we'll, we'll talk soon and uh it was an absolute blast thank you for everything be safe thank you i know bye guys bye